Keep it going for Bon uh, Freddie and the band. You did not know you two was going to be here today, did you? It's all right, I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning. My name is Lance. I'm on staff here at Crossroads. I work with our junior hires. I also help out with our weekend services. I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning. Um, when we first started talking about this series, God at the Movies, Paul and Dwayne asked me if I would speak at one of these weeks. I was happy to. Um, I looked through the list of movies that they had come up with, and I had seen exactly none of them. <clears throat> Not one. So uh, I kind of arbitrarily picked Heaven is for Real based on who was in it. And I more or less assumed before even watching it that I knew what the story would be about and what I might want to say about it. I pretty much had things all figured out before I even watched the movie. Then a few weeks ago, I sat down to watch it. Watch it. Uh, I grabbed a pad and a pen, ready to take notes, write down time code for the clips I wanted to use. I hit play and started watching. And I very quickly became lost in this story. You want to see how much I wrote down? You want to see my notes? Yeah, go ahead, put them up. Yeah, nothing. (laughs) Zero, zilch, nada. I had no idea what to write. As I watched this movie and subsequently cried and cried and cried, stopped counting after the fifth reach to the Kleenex box, um, I realized that my ideas about what what I wanted to say and perhaps what God might want us all to hear We're not necessarily one in the same. So I stand here today with what I hope and believe to be not from the mind of Lance, but hopefully from the heart of God. So uh, in your programs, there's a purple sheet. This is an outline. Um, Paul and Dwayne, really, really good at these. Lance, not so much. Um, I'm not used to teaching to an outline. I work with junior hires. It's all I can do to keep them awake, let alone take notes. Um, so I apologize. I know it's not what you're used to. Um, there may be a few quotes or verses that are on the screen that aren't in your outline. It's not anybody else's mistake, but mine. I apologize. I know it's not what you're used to, but for those you know, note takers out there, Paul and Dwayne are back next week. <clears throat> so, <laughs> Uh, It's funny that I'm here today teaching about heaven. Um, For those of you who attend here regularly, you know we don't spend a lot of time talking about heaven specifically. Um, And while I can't speak for other staff here, I can say at least for me, there are some reasons that I don't spend a lot of time talking about the idea of heaven. In fact, um, we've actually been doing a series with our junior high and high schoolers called Tough Questions, where they've been submitting questions to us, we've been answering them, and believe it or not, we actually got like six different questions about heaven, and wouldn't you know, I was the one who ended up teaching that week. Um, And I told them the same thing that I will tell you, is that perhaps I am the least qualified person to answer questions about heaven, because I honestly have never spent a lot of time focusing on it. For a long time, I thought that the concept of heaven is not as important as how we are supposed to live now. I would often think of this scripture in Matthew up on the screens and in your outlines. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so, with that biblical support, I just never really spent much time thinking about focusing on heaven. Because why? Live each moment. Be present in today. Do my best to live a life showing love and care for others and honoring God. 
And the truth is, I think that's kind of where pastor and author of Heaven is for Real, Todd Burpo, was at when this story began to unfold in his life. But something happens that shakes Todd and starts to turn his focus toward heaven. Now, I want to show you a clip from the movie, but before I do, I want to give a brief synopsis for those of you who have not seen it. Uh, Actually, who has seen the movie? Raise your hand if you have seen Heaven is for Real. All right, more of you than I thought. Um, So here's the deal. Four-year-old Colton Burpo is the son of Todd Burpo, a pastor at Crossroads, Wesleyan Church in Imperial, Nebraska. But it is called Crossroads. That's pretty cool. Uh, Colton says that he experiences heaven during an emergency surgery. He describes to his incredulous family about having looked down to see the doctor operating on him, seeing his mother calling people, asking them to pray from the waiting room, and seeing his father in another room yelling at God, begging him not to let his son die. He also spoke of meeting his unborn sister that died in a miscarriage and whom no one had told him about, and meeting Jesus, even describing his physical appearance. So as Colton continues to speak about his experience in heaven, Todd is faced with this dilemma. He has to determine if his son's experience was genuine or a hallucination based on a near-death experience, or maybe even just the wild imaginings of a young boy's mind. Now, during this same time, Todd is also dealing with several other big life issues. He's recovering from a major leg injury, which made it difficult for him to work his other jobs, which reduced their family's finances, which allowed bills to pile up, which put considerable stress on his wife and his marriage. And all of this leads Todd to be left very shaken, weak, overwhelmed, and tired. Now, Todd's discussion of Colton's experience, experiences, pardon me, uh, coupled with his diminished capacity due to his circumstances, begins to erode the confidence of the board of his church. And so they call this meeting to discuss the matter with him. Take a look. Todd, we're prepared for you to have all kinds of struggles, and we're here to support you during those times. You know, we extended a leave of absence and twice twice right so i think you're aware the church is not doing very well without you and so we need to know what to plan for in the close future the question for me isn't whether you're preaching is what you're preaching colton's trip to heaven disturbs a lot of people it disturbs me do you take it as a literal event well for him it's not imaginary it's not a a metaphor or a feeling, it happened. And I take that seriously. I just don't know what to make of it. You know, what, what about it bothers you so much? What is it? I mean, I, I want to talk about it. I need to talk about it. All right. I, I don't like that it feels like um, some fairy tale, just a, a simple, easy explanation of life. I don't like that. Okay, so because it appeals to simple people. No. No. Yeah. Okay. I don't like that. how it makes our church uh, a magnet for everyone who wants to take the brain out of their head and beat it to death with the Bible and then seem to want to show off how much they believe. Heaven and hell have always been concepts that have been used to control and frighten people. That's one way to look at it, but all Colton's ever talked about is heaven and how it's a beautiful place. Todd, 
What do you plan on preaching? All of us have times when we lose our way. That's when we look to leaders. If you're going to lead this church, you've got to make a decision. All right. I say that we give Todd a little bit more time. One more week. But in the meantime, we need to start planning for the future of our church and looking for someone else. But there's another reason that many people don't talk about heaven all the time. It can make people uncomfortable, even some pastors and church leaders. See, it's hard to spend any amount of time talking about heaven without also talking about death and hell. And believe me, I do not know too many pastors that like to talk about death, hell, and damnation. Certainly not in the ministries that I've been a part of and not here at Crossroads. Um, So when it comes to stories like Colton's, and his is certainly not the only one, why is it? that we are so skeptical of people that when we hear their accounts of claiming to have gone to heaven. I mean, isn't that what we as Christians are supposed to believe? Maybe it's because we don't trust the person telling the story. Uh, There's a lot of dishonesty out there. Perhaps you've heard of the book, uh, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, authored by a young boy by the name of Alex Malarkey. Swear I am not making that up. Okay? (laughs) Years after authoring the book with his father, Kevin, in which he claimed to have visited heaven during a two-month-long coma, he penned an open letter declaring that his entire account was a lie, that none of it happened, he did not die, he had not visited heaven, and that he concocted the entire story in an effort to seek attention, as if his last name had not been clue enough. And again, this is not an isolated incident. We know of many people who have made claims about visiting heaven only to find out later that their claims are exaggerated, misleading, or just plain untrue. Maybe it's because, Christian or not, you just don't believe that this whole heaven thing is really legit. Like Nancy said in the video clip, maybe you believe that heaven and hell have always been used as concepts to control and frighten people. Maybe you believe, for whatever reason, that heaven is really more of an idea, just an illusion or a concept, than it is an actual place or realm. And I'm sure that together we could come up with all kinds of reasons, but we can see that the topic of heaven is one that is surrounded with controversy and doubt and skepticism, and in many cases, even outright deception. So it is very easy for me to understand why anyone would have a difficult time talking about understanding, believing in heaven. So back to the big question. Is heaven for real? What does the Bible say? The truth is we know very little specifics about heaven. And there are so many misconceptions. The best description we find of heaven in the Bible is in Revelations 21 and 22. And here's the deal with Revelation, really quick. Uh, John, either the Apostle John or some other traveling prophet named John, we're not sure, is on the island of Patmos, and he receives this vision from God. He describes what has been referred to as the end times, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, all describing the same thing. But then he also talks about heaven in some pretty significant detail even going so far as to give exact measurements at one point. 
Not sure how that worked out if in, while receiving the vision he pulled out a tape measure. I don't know. Um, but much of what we have heard about from heaven comes from this description in Revelation. The pearly gates, the streets of gold with no name, uh, crystal clear river flowing from the throne of God. All of these are coming out of that description in Revelation 21 and 22. And Jesus himself speaks of heaven numerous times throughout his teaching. He says he's preparing a room for us in heaven, among other things. But that said, outside of Jesus' references and John's description as to what heaven will be like, we don't know. We don't know. And I don't really think we can know. Now, that's just me. There are others who would disagree with me. But regardless of the specific details... We know that heaven is where those who have a faith in and relationship with Jesus Christ will spend eternity in community with God. It will be unmarred by sin, and it will be amazing. Okay, so heaven is biblical, and we've now ever so briefly and very narrowly defined it. But why is it so important to talk about? What makes heaven so important? Why hasn't Lance shut up yet? Well, first of all, there's a nicer way to ask that question. No need to be rude. And secondly, because I think there's something larger that we need to explore here. I believe that within each of us, there is a desire. There's a passion for things unseen. We have a need to ask unanswerable questions to explore the uncharted depths, both physically and figuratively. We reach out beyond ourselves in an attempt to learn, to grow, to blossom, to expand, in striving to understand this great world within the vastness of the universe. And through all of this, I believe there is an underlying unease, a nagging tension that gnaws at us and tugs us ever forward through these endeavors. I believe there is in each of us an emptiness, a longing, a desire for something unknown, something larger than ourselves. There is a hole within us created from our brokenness that will not, that cannot be filled by anything of this earth. In his book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, he describes this really well. Um, It's a long quote. It is on your outline. It's also on the screen behind me. I encourage you to read along. The quote says this. The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. Check this out. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. The concept that Lewis is illustrating here has been referred to as the God-shaped hole. 
the belief that there is a metaphorical hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God himself. Now, this is a concept that is alluded to numerous times throughout the Bible. In Acts 17, there's a reference to God creating us with a need, a desire to search for him. In 1 Corinthians 6, we're told that our body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5, it talks about God's love being poured into our hearts to give us hope. In Matthew 12, Jesus warns us about the danger of being empty, of essentially ignoring this need within us. But I think it is most cleanly stated in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Um, here, again, in your outline and on screen. God has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in our hearts. That is to say that our great creator planted within each one of us a need for him. To seek him out and live our lives in relationship with him. There is a need inside each of us that we cannot fill, a hunger which will not be satisfied by anything other than the love that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, growing up, I didn't have a lot of trophies. Uh, zero, actually. Um, primarily because I didn't do anything that would uh, garner me a trophy. Like, my mom didn't hand those out for cleaning my room. Um, I've since talked with her about that. We're fine. Um, <clears throat> but um, I would go over to my friend's house. Specifically, there was this one friend of mine. We would walk home from school together. I'd go up to his room, and he had this trophy wall, okay? And it was like floor-to-ceiling trophies. And there was all kinds of different trophies. It wasn't just one thing. There was people like doing this and other people like, "Eh, I don't know what they were doing. But he had stuff for everything, right? Um, And I would see that, and my first reaction was jealousy. Like, I would be like, oh man, look how cool he is. Like, he must be awesome to do all this stuff, and I suck. Like, that's, I am lame. I have nothing. I've got like a dust bunny in my corner. Like, this is, um, Well, so later on, years down the road, I joined this organization where we were able to do competitions. There were sports competitions, (laughs) no chance. Uh, But there was also these public speaking competitions, right? And there I'm like, I got this. So um, I go, we we start working for these competitions. And my first year we go, I get like a third place, something. It's like, no. Um, (laughs) And then uh, it took a, a few more years of really working hard, really trying at it, before I finally get a first place trophy. And I am so stoked. Like, I hold that thing up. I'm like, yeah, oh, I got this. Um, And so I I, I come home. I'm pumped. I put it on my desk. I bask in its glow, the glow of a piece of plastic. Um, (laughs) And I'm I'm looking at this thing, and I could not be more elated for like a day. And then I come home after school. I'm like, pretty lame trophy. It's It's not that big. And so... I start thinking, like, well, why am I not satisfied? It's not enough. It's not enough. So I work a few more years, and we end up, we do this big team competition, right? And I'm the director of this thing. So even though we're working as a team, in my mind, it's all about me. Like, if we win this thing, it's on me. Forget you guys, this is me. Um, And get this, we win, right? We win the team competition. But not only do we win the team competition, I win as an individual as well. So I got the big trophy that I got to share with these other guys. And then I get the little one that I can take home. And I am so stoked. But like the joy level, if it was a 10 the first time, it's like a nine this time. 
it's not, I'm not as stoked on it. And it starts to fade really quickly. Like, by the time we get home from the competition, I'm already going, like, guys, next year, man, we've got to figure this out. Like, we, we lost, like, three points. We have to get this right. Um, and I'm starting to wonder, like, why am I not happy? I won the trophy. I accomplished the goal. I got the thing. Why am I not happier? And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we've all been at that point in some place in our lives. We have all been chasing after the elusive carrot on the end of the string. We've all been hunting after something. It's different for each of us, but we feel this desire, this pull, a longing for something more. And we can't quite pinpoint what it is. So we begin to assign it to various things. Uh, Big house, nice car, high-paying job, perfect spouse, big family, newest tech gadget. And sometimes we even get it, right? Like you achieved the goal, you win the prize, you got first place, trophy in hand, victorious, you feel happiness and joy for a little while. Then it starts to fade. The gold isn't bright enough. The house isn't big enough. The car isn't fast enough to maintain our happiness. They can't fill the void. They can make you happy for a little while, but not forever. Like Lewis said, these things, at best, they provide us a glimpse into what true, may be, true joy may be like. They offer the mere suggestion of true satisfaction. Friends, So often, the things we pursue in life have little to no eternal significance. These things, the world around us, what so often the world wants us to believe is important, these are not the things of heaven. They are not what matters in our lives. This is why a focus on heaven, to consider heavenly things, having an eternal perspective is so necessary. We have to see beyond ourselves, to see the bigger picture. Don't be the guy on the Titanic arranging deck chairs. Think about it. <laughs> it's, it sunk. It didn't matter with the deck chair. Anyway, um, but I can hear some of your thoughts right now. Okay, not actually. That'd be weird. But in a group this size, I'm sure there are many of you thinking this right now. Lance, that's all well and good, but you don't have a clue what I'm dealing with. Focus on heaven. It is everything I can do to get out of bed in the morning and get through today, let alone spending any time thinking about eternity. I'm dealing with so much right now. I'm unemployed. The bills keep piling up. We're going to lose our home. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know how to love my kids right. My family's a mess. I've got a loved one who's sick or dying. I'm fighting an addiction. I'm dealing with an abusive partner. I'm struggling with a traumatic event in my past. And you're telling me to have an eternal perspective? What's that even mean? Friends, I hear you. I know it's not that easy. I know it is not just a switch we can flip. I recognize that there are a thousand things that the world will throw our way to distract us, to pull us away, to remove our focus from God, to get between us and a relationship with our creator. We have all these things coming at us. And more often than not, we do not feel the love of of a loving father. We feel hurt and shame and regret, and despair, and anger, and hate, and maybe even just 
nothing at all. You just go numb. I get it. I've been there too. In fact, some of those dark places are on the frequently visited list of my life. Some in my recent history. Watch this clip from Heaven is for Real if someone else is in the same place. You. I always figured it was Jay leaving flags and flowers here on my son's grave. I failed you, Nancy. Worst moment of your life. Loss beyond comprehension, and I had... I had nothing for you. No comfort. No hope. No peace. I should have... You didn't let me down. You couldn't take my pain away, and I didn't want it gone. For a while, pain was all I had of him. You don't have to save the world, Todd. I believe that's already been done. Since that meeting at the church, where I was the bitter woman I swore I'd never be, I've been thinking. It's not the people of the church I met at. And it's not you, not your son. It's God. Why God would give you your son back and take mine away. When Colton was in that hospital, I saw he was dying. And some part of me broke. Some part that still hasn't mended. Nancy, you don't ever have to apologize to me for any broken part you carry. I know that each one of us is carrying our own broken pieces. Things happen in our life. We get hurt. We suffer a loss. We struggle through pain, and along the way, we break. Pieces get broken. Guys, none of us are immune. We've all got a few broken pieces jangling around inside of us that make it much more difficult to view the world from a heavenly perspective. For so many of us, the world we live in, the lives we lead, are more reminiscent of the things of hell than they are of anything heavenly at all. We're surrounded by fire, disease, war, abuse of power, starvation, deception of every kind, slavery, death, murder, and the list goes on and on. I can hardly watch the news anymore. I mean, honestly, here's how I think they should start the evening news. Hello and welcome to the 6 o'clock news. We're surprised you've made it through another day. Here's what happened to those who didn't. It's bleak, but it's true, gang. Um, 
For some of us, we can't possibly even begin to have a concept of heaven because we don't have much more than a distant thought of what real love, real peace, real joy might actually look or feel like. We walk around so broken and hurting. How could we possibly be focused on the seemingly ludicrous fairy tale ideation of eternal happiness? Well, let me tell you this, guys. This is not a new struggle. In the book of Psalms, we find this a number of times of the hurting heart of man crying out to God. In fact, I want to look at a specific psalm, Psalm 43. Now, we're not sure who wrote it, but most Bible scholars believe that it was someone who was a captive or a hostage captured by an enemy, whomever that may have been. Um, Regardless of his exact situation, we can imagine that it was not a very good one, right? Um, In the earlier parts of the psalm, he asked God to vindicate him, to free him. But check this out on the end. Uh, This verse did not make it to your outline. My apologies. Check it out on the screen. Psalm 43, 5. Why am I discouraged? Why Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Do you hear the hurting there? The confusion, the pain? Why am I so discouraged? Other translations say, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Have you ever felt like you hurt in your soul? But then it continues, I will what? Put my hope in God. I will put my hope in God. Even though the situation is bleak. Remember, this guy is a hostage, prisoner, captive, whatever. I will put my hope in God. I will focus on God. How does he do that? How was he able to change his perspective to see anything beyond the dark, dreary reality of being a political prisoner in a foreign land? Friends, I believe the key to this lies in the acknowledgement that there is more to life than just what we see, feel, and experience around us right now. We must recognize that this, what we know on earth today, this messed up, chaotic, jumbling disorder, this is not all there is. This is not as good as it gets. There is something bigger, something greater, something beyond description or comparison waiting for us. An end to suffering, an end to pain, and an end to death and sadness and fear and sorrow, a new creation. In Malachi, we get this beautiful, albeit very brief glimpse into what is waiting for us on the other side of eternity. Check this out. It says, but for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. I love that image. And I can totally see me prancing through a field like a little calf led out to pasture. I would do that. Um, But look at these powerful feelings, even in just this short verse. Healing, freedom, joy, That sounds pretty nice to me. I don't know about you. Guys, our Father, our Father God, the creator of the universe, the author of life, has something incredible waiting for us. And in that amazing new creation, there will be healing, restorative, regenerative, complete healing. 
the frustrating, difficult things we deal with every day, they become immaterial in the light of eternity. I'm hearing your thoughts again. Not really. Okay, but how does that help me today? I'm struggling with these very real issues now. And they are big and they are all consuming to me. And I can't see through these struggles, let alone the light of eternity ahead of me. I hear you. And I understand. Please do not hear me saying, I think this is easy. I know it's not. I do not have this perfected. This message is just as much for me as it is from me. Okay? This is a very real struggle. But here's what I will say. Guys, this takes effort. This takes concerted, constant mental effort. We must continually remind ourselves to refocus on the things of heaven, to the things that have eternal significance. In the weeks after uh, I lost or I won those last couple trophies, um, I spent a lot of time trying to identify why I wasn't more happy, why I didn't seem to feel satisfied with what I had worked so hard to achieve. After a while, I kind of started to understand. See, the whole reason that I had begun the journey towards a full full trophy shelf in the first place was flawed, right? I saw what my friends had, and it made me feel inferior. My self-worth tanked because I felt like unless I had a shiny hunk of wooden plastic with a number one on it, I wasn't worth anything. I was deriving my own sense of value on something that had no real value at all. Certainly no eternal value. And as I came to grips with that, I started to process it with some trusted advisors and friends. And thankfully, they helped remind me where my real value lies. In God. I am, you are, we all are God's masterpiece. His most highly treasured creation. It doesn't matter how many trophies are on my shelf. In fact, he's keeping a record of my own, of my victories. And I know that his celebration is going to include something far more significant than a trophy. A few years ago, uh, a water pipe over the storage unit that's attached to the carport at our home broke and began to leak. And apparently it had been leaking for quite a while, possibly even months before I happened to discover it. Um, As a result of the leak, several boxes of things that we had stored in there were damaged. One of those boxes contained every last one of my trophies. As I attempted to salvage them from the soggy pieces of cardboard, the wood, rotted from moisture and mold, crumbled away at my fingertips like it was sand. My trophies were completely destroyed. At first, I was devastated and angry. But after a while, I actually began to feel this sense of peace. Now, don't get me wrong, I was still really sad to have lost them, but I was also kind of, I don't know, uh, okay with it, right? Like, in fact, I actually went back down to the carport, I grabbed the box of trophies, and very ceremoniously placed them in the trash can. In that moment, I said a little prayer. Thank you, God, that my value to you is not determined by trophies. Now, years later, I'll tell you honestly, I don't miss them. 
Not at all. Because the truth is, they don't matter. They have no eternal value. The things of earth, they don't last forever. And it is the things of heaven, the things that matter from an eternal perspective that we ought be most concerned with. Check this out in Colossians 3. It says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And Pastor Todd Burpo comes to this same realization as well. After word of Colton's experience spreads, he attracts some local media attention, as well as plenty of questions about his beliefs around what happened with his son. Now, Todd decides to invite the media, as well as other curious locals, uh, to his church on Sunday, where he says he will answer all of their questions. Take a look. I'm standing here today with wounds that are still healing fears that are still echoing, and in that way, maybe some of you are sitting here this morning exactly like me. I can say truthfully that the pain that I suffered, it was nothing compared to watching my son that close to death. So now, we got a question. Was Colton in heaven? Yes. He was in the heaven that God showed him. Is heaven real? Because if heaven is for real, we'd all lead different lives, wouldn't we? Would we? Really? Haven't we already seen heaven? In the first cry of a baby, the courage of a friend, the hands of a nurse or a doctor, the love of a mother or father. Haven't we already had a glimpse of heaven and so often chosen the hell of hate and fear? Is heaven for real? Every single one of you has asked that question. All of us have. And for me, the answer is yes. I see it. So I believe it. What we believe changes what we perceive and I believe that God he's love 10,000 times I've been here and I've talked about on earth as it is in heaven and I don't know that I ever listened to that and my son he saw something he, he saw heaven he'll tell you all about Jesus how about that name Jesus Jesus creates so much hope in so many of you so much distrust in so many others that's okay I believe God asked me to be a pastor did he insist on my vision being the same as yours or yours of course not did he make me one of those heroes like that lion and the bear and unicorn I preached about. No, that's what I wanted. God had a different plan. God 
crush my pride. Open my heart. To love. love requires is that I let others know they're not alone much to ask if we just end one church service with a group hug. I'm joking. Sit down. There are some pretty hard-hitting words in that clip. Did you catch them? Um, Here's the first one. Pastor Todd says this, what we believe changes what we perceive. Did you guys hear that one? I threw it in there pretty quick. Um, Well, what's that mean? What we believe changes what we perceive. Well, if I believe that money is all important, how might that affect my view of a person in poverty? If I believe that life is sacred, how might that affect my view of suicide or murder? And if I truly believe that heaven is for real, how might that affect the way I view my life? Todd challenges his congregation with this. If we truly believe that heaven is for real, we ought to live like it. If we truly believe that heaven is for real, we ought to live like it. Now, Rick Warren explains this so well in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. I know many of you have read it. Um, I was so challenged as I read through his powerful words. I'm going to paraphrase them for you here. He says this, Once we begin to focus on the eternal, our perspective starts to change. We start to see things differently. Our values and priorities begin to shift. We use our time and money more wisely. We place higher premiums on character and relationships instead of fame, wealth, achievements, and recreation. In Philippians 3, we read this. I once thought these things, the things of the world, were valuable, but now I consider them what? Worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When we start to live with our eyes focused on Christ, on the eternal, it changes how we handle our relationships our jobs, every circumstance we encounter, the things that seemed important before suddenly start to appear trivial and small, not even remotely as important as we thought they were before. Friends, the closer we get to God, the smaller everything else starts to become. 
C.S. Lewis takes it one step farther. Check this out. Again, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Those are very convicting words for me. Friends, if we lose our focus on the things of eternal significance, we so drastically reduce our ability to have a positive impact on the world around us. For those of us who would call themselves Christians in this room today, if we truly believe that heaven is for real, we must live like it. Let's live our life with a heavenly view, doing things that matter from an eternal perspective. Again, go back to the words of Pastor Todd. God opened my heart to love. And all I have to do, the one thing that this love requires is that I let others know they're not alone. That's our mission, friends. That is why we do what we do here at Crossroads. If you are here today and you are a believer in Christ, that is your calling. My calling, our objective, to continually allow God to open our hearts to love and to share that love with others and let them know they are not alone. What is an eternal perspective? It's a recognition that our own myopic view of life is small. There is more, so much more than just you and me. There's a world of people who are hurting and searching and hoping and they need to hear and know and feel the love of God and the only way they might ever feel that is from you. If we all did that, I think that heaven would start to feel a little more real for all of us. And maybe today that's why you're here. Maybe you came here today looking for a glimpse of hope. And if that's you today, if you're trying to figure out what a life of faith in Christ really means, I challenge you today to consider the possibility that this thing called heaven might be for real. And that its doors are wide open to you if you receive Christ's invitation. And for all of us here today, I know that each one of us has those broken pieces. Those things that are hurting in us that so often prevent us from having that focus on heaven, from having an eternal perspective. And just being really honest, I think it's those broken, hurting pieces of us that keep us enslaved to our darkness. They restrain us and isolate us. They keep us wallowing in shame and guilt. And when we start to get real about those pieces of our life, when we start to invite the God of love, the God of mercy, of grace, of healing, the God of heaven into those parts of our life, that's where the real healing begins. When we surrender those pieces to God, he helps us to lift our eyes to him and we get those rare glimpses of what heaven might actually be like. Would you pray with me?
Father God, our Heavenly Father, feels a little different to say after this. God, for so many of us here today, it's very difficult for us to have a heavenly perspective. Many of us, we don't even know what that means. God, there are things in our life that take so much of our attention, take so much of our focus. It's all we can do to get through them, let alone to focus on what matters to you. God, I would pray for those of us in this room that we're struggling with that today. Right now, in the moments, in in this quiet moment, God, we want to surrender those things to you. Just right now, we're going to focus on those things just for this moment. And God, we're going to ask you to take these things, take our broken pieces, take what is in us that is hurting and remove them, heal them, start that healing process in us that we might focus on you. Let's give those things to God right now. And God, many more of us, today we're here just wondering if you're for real, if, if heaven is for real. And for some of us today, God, maybe we're, we're making this decision, we're thinking about this for the very first time. And if that's you, if today you're thinking of opening your heart to Christ for the first time, I invite you to pray this prayer silently with me. God, I've made a mess in my life. I've screwed up. I pursued things that have no eternal value. Today, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender my broken pieces. I want to give the aspects of my life that are hard for me to hand over. God, I want to give them all to you. I invite you to come into my life. I want to receive your invitation to heaven. For all of us, God, we pray that you would help us to have an eternal focus as we move forward in our lives. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.